What is up, guys? Max here with a brand new episode of the Scuttlebutt Show. Thank you for tuning in today. Uh, we got a fun episode, and I want to thank you guys for checking out yesterday's episode with AO Nixo. Uh, we got a bunch of new fans to the show from that, so I really appreciate it. And, you know, I don't know if you guys know, the studio looks a little bit different. It's it's constantly an update in progress. Uh, but after last night when I, we did that episode, I was like, the mic should be on the other side of my face, I feel like. You know, like, because I'm blocking half of my face every time we do this. So I figured I'll put the mic on the other side of the table, get the monitor a little bit more out of the way, you know, and we got the, uh, the whole two camera setup going on here. So I got my, my, my main camera looking at me here and this might be like the reaction cam. Let me know what you guys think. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the studio setup, uh, and how I can constantly improve it. So, uh, dudes and dudettes, thank you. Last night, we streamed the live episode with AO Nixo, which is on the podcast right now. He came over really cool dude. Uh, we had, we had a good chat afterwards. We plan on doing a lot more stuff together. We had people in the United States watching that episode at three o'clock in the morning in Washington state, 5 AM over on near the East coast. Uh, it was just, Oh man, I'm so honored. I felt so honored. So I want to thank you guys. Cause that was just, that was awesome. And, uh, and I owe you an apology too, because yesterday on yesterday's episode, I put out that we were doing a reaction to JT Suits video in the title. And I didn't do that. I, I didn't, I ran out of time. I didn't do it. So I'm saving it for today. So we are going to do that today. Uh, we're going to hit, we're going to make sure that we get to that. And it's an important story too, because the whole point of doing it is talking about veteran mental health, self-care and making sure that we do that buddy check. Okay. I really think that this is important, especially after doing that episode last night with AO Nixo. And I, and I just my message out there to you guys is if you have a favorite military YouTuber that's not me, go ahead and you know hit them up and just say, thanks. I appreciate you coming out here and doing this. Your efforts are not going unnoticed. And one question that I always ask people on this show when they come on my podcast is, are you happy? I always ask my guests, are you happy? Because it's the only question that matters. Okay. At the end of the day, when the internet goes off, when the podcast is over, when the live stream ends, the question that we all have to live with is, are we happy? Okay. So check in with your favorite military YouTuber. If it's not me, if it's me, thank you very much. I appreciate it. If it's not me, go check in with them and say, are you happy? You know, I'm, I, these guys are putting in, these guys and gals are putting in a lot of work. We have a, uh, a cool guest coming up this week. I hope it all pans out. I won't say who it is yet because I've gotten bit in the butt before by announcing a guest and then that guest, you know, we have to reschedule or something like that. But we have an exciting female veteran guest you guys might know coming on the show this Friday. So stay tuned for that. Um, we got some fun stuff to cover today. We are live and I would love to hear your questions in the chat. So if you got any questions for me, go ahead and hit me up in the chat. And as always, you can find links in the description of how to best support the show via Patreon or buying a, one of these t-shirts. I hooked up, I hooked up uh, AO Nixo with the shirt last night. He's been rocking it and he posted on his Instagram wearing it. So I really appreciate that. Uh, I want to get right into the first story, which is so funny. I thought this was so funny and, uh, and I hope you guys appreciate it too. The first story that we have got today is uh, just totally, in my opinion, totally awesome. It is uh, over the weekend. I'm not sure if you guys heard this, but over the weekend, there was a military Call of Duty championship. It was on Saturday. Guess who won? Guess out of all of the military, and by the way, it was the U.S. military branches across the board, as well as the Royal uh, the royal Military. So you've got the, the Royal Army, the Royal Navy, uh, 
and the Royal Air Force. And they were out there and they were playing in this Call of Duty tournament. And the United States Space Force won. The The Space Force won. Can you believe that? Like, what is going on? The Space Force only just begun. Only was just born this year. And they are whooping that ass at Call of Duty. Which, when I thought about it, makes a lot of sense. Okay, this actually checks out to me. The Space Force has got to be the most computer-oriented branch, the most high-speed, futuristic branch. The, these guys in the Space Force, the folks, when I say guys, I mean I mean across the board, boys, girls, whatever you are, I just say, what's up, guys? So the, the guys in the, Air, in the Space Force are the most technologically center, newest cutting edge branch. They're going to be spending the most time in front of the computer. And I want them to have those good keyboard and mouse skills. I want them to have those 120 hertz refresh rate screens. You know what I'm saying? They better be able to, to lay down some suppressive fire while their teammates move in and do like the old stabby move or whatever you do in Call of Duty, the uh, right joystick press in move. Okay. So according to the task and purpose here, the Space Force is officially better at Call of Duty than the other branches. And their little subheadline here is, I guess the Army and Marine Corps emphasis on ground combat doesn't translate to gaming. By the way, you know what's always funny? Uh, you know what's always funny is, I think, like, I've seen the, uh, the, the whole thing about, like, Navy SEALs, actual Navy SEALs playing Call of Duty, and they just, like, you know, wreck house. It doesn't really work like that, okay, you guys? It does not really work like that. Just because you're tactically sound in real life does not mean that you're going to be tactically sound in a video game. Those two things are totally different. First of all, you would never get shot 50 times uh, and get a health pack and be back in the fight in real life. Let's start with that. Second of all, uh, you you would have, in real life, you move much slower than you do in Call of Duty. So if if, if somebody goes, yeah, I played this uh, platoon of SEALs last night in Call of Duty and they were just rocking us, dude. They, they beat us really bad. You can tell they had the tactics down. Uh, they're probably not really SEALs. They're probably super gamers with uh, uh, a, a lot of stolen Valor action going on, okay? That's what I suspect. And as it turns out, the Space Force ended up being the greatest uh, video game branch anyway. So let's check, out, let's check out this story and see what this is all about. So the U.S. military's youngest branch, the Space Force, just trounced its sibling services as well as the U.K.'s military in the second annual Call of Duty Endowment Bowl. So this is the new uh, Call of Duty championship that they're going to do annually here, which I think is awesome. They were playing uh, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Eight teams from the Army, Navy, Air Force, Space Force, and Marine Corps along with the British Army, Royal Navy, Royal Air Force, against each other. Each team was captained by a civilian gamer and popular streamer who offered guidance and tips to players in real time as they vied for the top spot. So they had a little coach. They had a coach. Each team had a coach, but something tells me the Space Force didn't even need it. Each each team was captained by a civilian gamer and popular streamer who offered guidance and tips to players in real time as they vied for the top spot. And there is a video, so if you guys go to Task and Purpose, you can watch the whole video on the game. The tournament was put on by the Call of Duty Endowment, which has placed more than 77,000 veterans into full-time jobs since its inception in 2009. Have you guys heard of this? The Call of Duty Endowment that's employed 77,000 veterans? If you if you don't know about this, maybe, maybe uh, you're a gamer and you want to go check this out because it sounds like whatever this Call of Duty Endowment is, you could probably go get a job there working for, uh, uh, what is it, Activision that makes Call of Duty? This year alone, the endowment placed 11,000 veterans in jobs amidst the novel coronavirus. 
That's awesome. That's pretty cool. Don't, do you guys think that that's pretty cool? I like that. I actually can get on board with this. I don't play Call of Duty. Uh, I would get pooned, if you will, if that's the right term. If I tried to jump on there and play Call of Duty, I definitely would not be good on the uh, Navy team. I'll tell you that. So I, I, I don't have a lot to offer in terms of strategy or uh, how, how to maneuver the map or whatever it is. But I'm glad, uh, I'm glad that these guys are out there getting after. I did used to play Halo competitively when I was young. And I did actually, now that I think about it, win a Halo tournament on the Reagan, on the Ronald Reagan aircraft carrier. I won a Halo tournament and I won a football. So that was that, a little deathmatch style. Space Force isn't even a year old, so this may have been their very first win in anything competitive against any other service. That's true. Imagine winning at your first thing. Like, talk about stepping up to the plate and dominating, like making a name for yourself. They show up in the, in the game, and they're winning the very first thing that they do. That's pretty cool. Dan Goldenberg said that, the endowment's ex executive director, and it, that's according to Business Insider who interviewed him. So he said that's a heck of a way to start off their history. Is it, is it like, it is cool. It is cool. I, I, I appreciate that, uh, you know, that they won, but here's the question. What are they doing? What are they doing in, you know, to win in reality? What are they doing to win in the real, in the real world? Cause you know, at the end of the day, the army and Marine Corps and the Navy could just go, yeah, well we've won, you know, every war up to this point and you guys have just, uh, what launched a satellite, you know, just started going to boot camp. So there's always that. Let's get Space Force got to get up in the in a real world action a little bit. The win, while great news for the fledgling service, feels like a stunning loss for the other branches. Now, I, I'm reading from the article. Now, I know that being good at fighting in real life doesn't translate to being good at fighting games, but you'd think that at least the Army and Marine Corps might come out on top given their emphasis on ground combat and small unit tactics. We already talked about why I don't believe that's the case. Honestly, I feel like this is more damaging to the Army and Marine Corps' ego than that time that the Coast Guard based marksmen from every other, uh, bested marksmen from every other military branch during the 2018 International Sniper Competition. I do remember that a couple years ago, a Coast Guard guy won the sniper competition. And, you know, maybe it, maybe it makes sense. Maybe it makes sense. Maybe the uh, Coast Guard is sniping off the, off the small boats. Maybe they're training moving targets with seasickness. I don't know. Uh, Coast Guard gets after it sometimes. Uh, you, do you guys remember that, that time a couple years ago when that, or maybe it was this year or like last year, in the last couple of years when that Coast Guard guy jumped on that submarine and beat the hatch down with his fist to get it open to get the drug uh, smuggler? So Coast Guard gets after it every once in a while. Honestly, I feel like, uh, just read that part. Now, for those of you who have already uh, furiously typing out your angry messages, uh, blank is too busy winning battles and kicking ass in real life to be concerned with winning a video game. Oh God, that's what I just said. It says, just stop. Gaming in general and Call of Duty in particular are wildly popular pastimes in the military, especially for those living in the barracks. Yo, that's true. Did you guys play video games in the barracks? All right. We used to game in the barracks all the time. LAN parties, right? You have Ethernet cables strung from room to room connecting Xboxes. Thank you, Xbox, for that, by the way. Connecting up to four Xboxes at one time. And then we also had uh, on the ship, on the ship in the birthings, you know, there was one TV. On the ship, there was one TV in the birthing. And that one TV, whoever hooked up their video game to it first, it would be like, okay, we're playing Nintendo 64 tonight. We're playing PlayStation 2 tonight, uh, whatever it was. So that was the jam back then. PlayStation, uh, PlayStation 3, I think, had just come out when I was, uh, when I was in the – what year was that? 2004. Was that still PlayStation 2? Was that PlayStation 2 back then? I guess it probably was, huh? PlayStation 2, 2004. Oh, man, I don't even remember. It's been such a long time. So – it says uh, they talk about the gaming in the military. 
Gaming in general and Call of Duty in particular are wildly popular pastimes in the military, especially for those living in the barracks. That trend has only increased in recent years with Warzone boosting, uh, boasting an estimated 75 million players globally as of August. Holy smokes. Not to mention a number of high-profile fans of the franchise like Medal of Honor recipient Florent Groberg and Alejandro Villanueva, an offensive tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers and former Army Ranger, who also is why so many people have watched our Alwyn Cash video is because of Villanueva. When you go on deployments, you have that downtime. The gym rats, all they want to do is work out. And then you have the guys who want to read books. And then you have the guys who want to binge watch Dexter. Villanueva told Task and Purpose. Then you got what I saw as the fun thing, which was to go in a hut and sign up, sign out Call of Duty and just smoke each other and scream at each other and see who was the last man standing. Uh, let me talk about that really quick. So when I was on deployment, when I've been deployed, you've got classic pastimes, okay? You've got the exercisers, okay? You've got the video game players. You've got the recluses who just go into their room and do nothing. You've got the, uh, the sleepers, okay? People just want to sleep. And then you've got people who just kind of sit around and they just, you know, BS and hang out, make themselves available. That's what I called it. Like people who just make themselves available. They're not hiding. They're not busy. They're just kind of hanging out, waiting around for, you know, whatever they know is going to like, cause you know, stuff's going to happen. Right. So you kind of just hang out in the public spaces in the smoke pit in the talk, whatever, and you wait for things to happen. So, uh, we got some comments here. So Jones loves call of duty and halo is the shit. I agree. Uh, a Mountain Dew and Marito, Doritos MRE. Oh, dude, should we make that on the Scuttlebutt show? Should we make the Mountain Dew and Doritos MRE? Uh, and then Jason says, I live in the barracks and I have a lot of friends who play a lot of Warzone, so that's true. All right, thanks for letting me know that that's accurate. That's, that checks out. That does check out. So when I was on deployment, it's, it's more like, it's not that you have gamers, but it, gets, it goes deeper. It's like what game, okay? Because you had the Tiger Woods crew. Like the Tiger Woods, the Tiger Woods crew was hardcore, hardcore in the Tiger Woods. Like every night, Tiger Woods golf. Like that's what's going down. Tiger Woods golf, Johnny Cash on the stereo, and it's going down. Then you had, uh, you had the shooters. You had the shooter games, and then you had like the, the role-playing story games. So it's, it's not even, it's not even a, do you game or not? It's what game? It's what platform? So you've got the Xbox PlayStation Wars going on. Who's going to hook up their game to the TV first? So we definitely got down on some games. Uh, that's true. I loved to sleep. I'll tell you guys that. Anyway, I don't want to get too far off the, off the course because we got to finish this story about the, uh, the gamers here. So let's get back to it. Let's get back to what we were talking about. Um, so with all that said, congratulations, Space Force. You are officially the deadliest keyboard, or in this case, console warriors in the United States military. And you can go watch the video. So that's the end of the article. I should have just finished it in the first place. What am I doing? That's a rookie move. That's a rookie move. So, uh, let's see. Speaker says, is the U.S. in Syria? Uh, good question. I'm not sure if the U.S. is still in Syria. I don't want to say right now. Uh, it's probably pretty easy to figure out. Maybe I can look it up when we get to a break in, break in the show here where I'm just chatting with you guys. But, uh, you know, it's funny, that you, it's funny that you ask that because if you had seen my uh, Everything You Need to Know About General uh, Floyd this uh, last week when I put out that video, uh, you would see that he famously in front of uh, John McCain denied or, or uh, said that we were in Syria when we were not. So you, you should go check out that video uh, and see, see what's up with that. He's going to be the new Secretary of Defense, by the way. So that is an interesting, uh, that is an interesting one. Is the U.S. still in Syria? Well, it depends on uh, what's going on in Syria, I guess. I, I, don't know, I don't know what the current status of our, our forces in Syria is. I can look that up, though. I can find out more information for you and try to get back to you on that. Now, 
As always on this show, you guys should know that I'm not going to use, uh, you know, I'm not going to put any NDAs on the line here or any, any security clearance stuff on the line here. So I always try to be as open source as possible. If you guys don't know what open source information is, open source information is just stuff you can find by doing research from publications, the news, the DOD websites, the .govs, the .mills, you know, some .coms, you know, whistleblowers, stuff like that. But anything that I'm saying on this show that you hear, don't worry. It's all open source info, which means it's all out there for the public. I'm not spilling any huge secrets out here, but I do have some insight on some things uh, as far as my personal experiences that I can apply to what I read. So that's what you're getting out of me on this show. Um, look, I got something cool that I want to talk about, which is uh, the U.S. Navy nominated its first female aircraft carrier CO, okay? The first female air- aircraft carrier commanding officer to take on the, what was it, the, the uh, Roosevelt, the Lincoln, the Lincoln. Um, wait, hang on. Let me, let, me get, let me get to that when I get to it, the uh, aircraft carrier that she's going to be in charge of. So, uh, yeah, we'll get to that. So, they, they nominated the first female aircraft carrier CEO, and I thought that this was great. You know, like, I think back, the reason that I, I want to talk about this is because I think, I think back to... Uh, the first ship that I was on, which was the Reagan, the USS Ronald Reagan, right? Checking to that ship. I'm an E2, looking at E3, looking at promoting E3 if I'm lucky. And we had a female command master chief. She was a hull technician, a.k.a. a plumber in the Navy. She was a, you know, shit shoveler. They go in there. They clean up the toilets when they overflow. They make sure that the ship's uh, pipes are all running smoothly, that the sewer system's all running smoothly. And she was the command master chief. Yo, everyone really liked her. She was very, very well liked, very, very well respected. And this is in 2004, okay? In 2004, we had a female aircraft carrier command master chief, and she was awesome. And I always, you know, when I saw this, I was like, is it, what's the deal with uh, why there's only now in 2020 going to be the first female aircraft carrier commanding officer? Well, before I get to the articles here, let me tell you a little bit about what I think about that. So to be an aircraft carrier commanding officer, you have to have a pretty perfect career. Like you have to hit the perfect jobs at the perfect times, including you've got to be a pilot. You've got to do, you know, multiple deployments. You've got to be a division officer, a department head, a air boss, lots of ship time, lots of underway time. Okay. You're talking about a lot of at sea time here. Then you've got to be an exo then you've got to be a CEO. And there's already not that many female pilots in the Navy. Then out of the female pilots that are in the Navy, you've got to look at retention. So how many are you going to keep? So what is the Navy doing to retain female pilots? Uh, and how many make it a career versus do one, you know, uh, uh, enlistment, two enlistments, two contracts, and then they get out and they go become a pilot or some kind of aviation role doing something else or they switch communities and, and go move outside of uh, just being a pilot and go do something else in the Navy. So you've got to look at all those factors, okay? When you think about why only now is there the first female aircraft carrier CEO, it's, it's hard to become an aircraft carrier CEO. Think about it. At any one time in the military, there's only six aircraft carrier CEOs, right? So it, are you going to, are you going to have, uh, a lot of billets for that open? No. And then that's a couple, every time, couple of years, couple of years, every time. So there's only a few opportunities to become an aircraft carrier CEO. So it, uh, it, 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 beca- it breaks down into becoming pretty competitive and pretty difficult. You've got to be perfect career, 
perfect career, everything at the right times, promotions, billets, all that stuff. Then you have to be up for orders at the right time when an aircraft carrier CEO spot is available and you're not too close or too far from retirement where you're about to get, you know, forced retired. So all that being said, I looked up to do this story about uh, the first female aircraft carrier CEO. And interestingly, uh, I found an article on Navy Times from two years ago, actually over two years ago, more like two, almost three years ago. Um, and that article here is uh, Av- Aviator Vying to Be Navy's First Female CEO of an Aircraft Carrier. This is, guys, this is three, almost three years ago that we're talking about this process started for her. So she had to go through this for three years just to be nominated. So a naval aviator is in the running to become the Navy's first female commanding officer of an aircraft carrier in the service's history. This is the Navy Times article from almost three years ago. Captain Amy Bauernschmidt, which is the rank that you have to be to be an aircraft carrier CEO, is captain, is the XO of the Abraham Lincoln, one of 11 aircraft carrier stations, 11 aircraft carriers, so 11 CEOs at any one time. She reported to the Lincoln in September 2016 and is the first woman in naval history to hold the title of XO aboard a nuclear warship. Now, uh, Bauern Schmidt is looking to make history again as the Navy's next aircraft carrier commanding officer, the first ever female to do so. We got to get her on the Scuttlebutt Show. Hey, if any of you guys out there know her or uh, think she would be a good guest on the Scuttlebutt Show, let's let's let her know. She's got to come on the show. It's by no means easy, Bauern Schmidt told Fox 6 News. You're competing with people who are just as smart as you are, just as accomplished as you, doing the same things you're doing. It's hard. As part of the CO competition, Bauerschmidt is required to spend 15 to 18 months as the commanding officer of the San Diego-based Amphib Transport Dock Anchorage. So she had to go be a CO of another ship first. Wow. Her performance there will help determine whether she gets selected to command an aircraft carrier. Despite her many historic firsts, Bauernschmidt downplays the role gender has played in her 24-year Navy career. Very few times in my life have I actually sat there and thought about the fact that I was a woman doing this because for the most part, I was treated as a naval officer and an aviator, she said. Then somewhere in fifth or sixth place, oh well, she's a woman. Bauernschmidt is a Milwaukee native and 1994 U.S. Naval Academy graduate, so she went to the academy. She was designated a naval aviator in 1996 and has accumulated more than 3,000 flight hours. She earned the 2011 Admiral Jimmy Tack and Captain Arnold Isbell Awards for Tactical Innovation and Excellence. And in 2012, she was presented the Battle Efficiency Award. So that's cool. She goes on to say that uh, she doesn't think gender played a huge role in her Navy career, which I think is nice that she says that. I, I think uh, I hope that it's I hope that it's true uh, that she has never faced any discrimination or anything like that. And. I'm glad that she was able to go serve in all these, you know, high profile positions and do all these things. Even just becoming a naval aviator is not an easy task. They got to go to flight school, which is pretty hard, pretty hard. And then you got to get qualified on your type of aircraft. So after flight school, do you want to go jets? Do you want to go rotary wing? Do you, you know, helos? And then you got to go do that particular flight school too, and then fly thousands of hours all around the world on all different types of ships. You've got to land the planes on ships, which is no joke. Uh, it is not an easy path. So good for her for doing that. Now, that's the Navy Times article from March 2018, so almost three years ago. She went to go serve as commanding officer of the Anchorage, and let's catch up with her here on uh, on what she's doing now. So for the first time, and this article is from uh, military.com, 9 December 2020, for the first time, a woman will take command of an aircraft carrier. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. In a historic first, the Navy has recommended a female officer to command an aircraft carrier. Captain Amy Bauernschmidt is one of six officers recommended to command a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier in fiscal 2022. 
Also selected for the job were Captains Colin Day, David Duff, Brent Gout, and David Tavis Pollard and Craig Sicola. Naval Air Forces did not respond to requests for comment from Bauernschmidt or questions about when the captains will be assigned to carriers and what having a woman serving this role bring to the force. Maybe she hasn't been assigned to a carrier yet, but she was the EXO of the Lincoln. Bauernschmidt has already broken barriers in her Navy career since leaving the Naval Academy in 1994. First woman to serve as EXO of a nuclear carrier, that was the Lincoln in 2016. A career aviator who has served with several helicopter squadrons. She was a helicopter pilot, by the way. Recently commanded the Amphib Transport Dock San Diego, according to her Navy bio. Hmm, interesting. Amphib Dock San Di- Transport, Amphibious Transport Dock San Diego. Not to ship the Anchorage. Hmm. Wonder what happened there. So she has, for years, had her sights set on commanding a carrier. That makes sense. A, a natural progression would be XO of a carrier, then CO of a carrier. Showing a strong performance while she command, while commanding an amphibious ship was just one of the steps needed to meet that goal, she told Milwaukee's NBC 15 in 2018. It's by no means easy. You're com- and this is the same quote. It's hard, she says. Bowerin Schmidt's 1994 Naval Academy class was the first to graduate after Congress repealed the law barring female service members from serving on combat ships and aircraft. Wow, think about that. 1994. 1994, they allowed women to start serving on combat ships. Huh, that's so recent. Like, ships used to be men only, you know, and then they started having women on them, then it was subs were men only, then they started having women on them, and there's just, like, no barrier. There's, like, nothing that women can't do anymore. They can even go train for special forces. We got that first female Green Beret this year. She said in an interview uh, with the network during her time in the Lincoln's EXO that she doesn't fear failure and tries to serve as a mentor to both men and women in the Navy. Service is about these young men and women I lead every day, she says. They're pretty awesome. Hey, good for her. Captain Amy Bauernschmidt, the first female aircraft carrier commanding officer. I think that that's pretty cool. Um, good for her. I'm excited. I think that she's going to probably do a great job uh, as aircraft carrier commanding officers tend to do. And I am excited to see uh, the results of that. Maybe she'll get um, a female EXO or female CMC as well. I'm telling you guys, I had a female CMC when I was on the Reagan. She was the best CMC we could have asked for. She was badass, hard charger, great leader. Just superior performance all around, and she was very well liked and respected. The Navy, in that in that case, uh, did not give her any hard time for being a woman. Totally, uh, all all of us were on board with her being the CMC. I'll tell you that. All right, let me catch up with some comments here. So, uh, give your man Ao Nixo some praise because he just put me on sub. Love the content. Hey, thank you very much, Astronomy Unknown. Spika says, also getting to be a fighter pilot is extremely hard because you have to be very high up in the class. That's true. So what Spika says is uh, actually true. It is kind of a thing in the, uh, in the Navy where becoming a fighter pilot is the ultimate high top tier of pilots in the Navy. And then from there, you can just gain quals as a fighter pilot, go to Top Gun school. Uh, and some people want to be helicopter pilots. And some people become helicopter pilots because they couldn't uh, graduate um, uh, fighter jet or or jet school. Basically, like fixed wing plane school uh, did not work out for them. They got rolled into helos. So uh, it was uh, the the scuttlebutt was a lot of our helo pilots were actually um, uh, jet F-18 pilot uh, dropouts. Uh, I don't think that that's true in every case. It's definitely true in some cases. I know for a fact I've talked to pilots who say, oh, yeah, I failed out of uh, F-18 school and I had to go into uh, helos. So it's just once pilots uh, graduate flight school and go on to their type model series, 
Uh, they can get rolled to different platforms. They can also cross platforms. Happens all the time. It happens on a small scale from going from one type of helo to another, one type of jet to another, um, different series. But uh, you can also change platforms completely. Um, all right, guys. So this was the thing I wanted to do yesterday. It's about 1130 right now, which means we're halfway through the show. And I wanted to do this yesterday, but we're going to do it today. Sorry, I missed this yesterday. JT Suits. JT Suits. I've been totally ignoring the seven minute clock, by the way, today. JT Suits. Very, very popular Navy YouTuber. He's got over 150,000 subscribers. He's been out of the Navy for a few years. I've been watching his content for a long time. JT Suits is the second best military YouTuber who was an AT in the Navy. I say that because I was an AT in the Navy. Just kidding. JT Suits, love you, man. Uh, he's, he's done great content. He's obviously much bigger and better at this than I am. Um, and he has helped countless veterans. Recently, his content, I don't know if you guys know this or watch him, has changed pretty dramatically. He, uh, he's been out of the Navy for a while. He recently has moved out of his home. He went through a divorce, and he's now living on his own. And he has been openly talking about PTSD, mental health, seeking treatment, doing videos. Um, and he came out with this video, uh, Navy Sailors Can't Have PTSD, Response to a Navy Chief on Reddit. And... I thought this would be a great story to cover because we just yesterday covered the story about the sailor who went overboard on the Roosevelt, who's been declared dead. By the way, the Navy confirmed that that person that we reported on was the sailor. Uh, that was his name. That is who he was. And, you know, tragic. I'm really sorry that that happened. I'm sorry to hear that. So now I, I had this JT Suits video and he talks about having PTSD from the Navy and I wanted to comment on this because I've been on an aircraft carrier. I had the same rate as him. I worked on helos as well. Then I went over and I did some ground deployments, Iraq, Afghanistan, and I've had a very broad Navy career. Okay. A very, very broad Navy career. I got to do a lot of cool stuff more than I ever could have imagined. And I'd love to comment on this because he makes a lot of great points. So what we're going to do now is we're going to do a little Navy veteran reacts to uh, JT suits. So I'm going to go ahead and set this up real quick. And, uh, if you guys want to uh, hang tight while I uh, or ask any questions in the chat, I'm going to be setting this up for about, give me like 30 seconds to set this up here. Um, I have been uh, super excited to, uh, to meet some of the new subscribers in the last couple of days. Uh, it's been a real honor um, to have you guys join the show. And I look forward to uh, providing quality content to you guys for the rest of the time that you uh, subscribe to this channel. Um, if you haven't already checked out the podcast, all these episodes are streaming on the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, you can find us there. Just look up the scuttlebutt show. You can find me on Instagram. You can email me at the scuttlebutt show, gmail.com where, uh, I am, I am very active and, uh, you can go to scuttlebuttshow.com. No, the just scuttlebuttshow.com. And you pick up one of these cool t-shirts or some of the other merch that we have up there. Um, if you're a Navy veteran or interested in the Navy, we have some great Navy t-shirts up there that I do all the designs for. So, okay, we're all set up without further ado. Let's go ahead and check out, uh, let's do Navy veteran reacts to JT suits. Navy sailors can't have PTSD. Yo, 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 yo's. Dude, I used to be a beast with yo-yos in like middle school. I'd build like some cool, like, you know, Papa, come here. Let me show you my yo-yo skills, boy. Come here. I'm gonna yo-yo that ass. <laughs> Dude, you're so 
My wife just bought me a yo-yo for Christmas, actually. Come here, boy. This guy. You have one job. I'm going to push you off the couch. <laughs> Don't do it. Yo, what up? So, uh, this... Dude, he moved couches. Hey, you get back over here. I need you. No, I need you. Come here. It's okay. Come here, Pablo. I won't mess with you. Come here, Pablo. Come here, boy. Dang it. I think we lost him. Come here, Pablo. Come here. I know you can do it. Give me a kiss. Yes. Good boy. Yes. Got him back. We got him back. Intro. That's a good, solid intro. But anyway, so there's... I go on Reddit. All right, guys, I want to play that whole intro because uh, I want to show you. He's being very open, okay? He's being very open uh, and and transparent about what's going on in his life, which I think is really cool. I appreciate it. If you guys want to go show him some love, I'm sure you guys know who he is. Go over to JT Suits and just say, hey, appreciate what you're doing. Thanks for keep it up. Thanks for uh, being brave out there and putting yourself out there on the Internet. It takes a lot of courage to talk about your problems in the hopes that it helps somebody else. We do it here on the Scuttlebush Show all the time. Uh, I appreciate it very much. Reddit, the website, the subreddit for the Navy and the military subreddits. Just like to stay up to date and yaddy, uh, whatnot. And dude, uh, this chief, there's like a chief or senior chief that made a video and he's like really well loved, man. He's like, yo, uh, PTSD, sailors can get PTSD too or something. And I'm like, dude, I've been talking about that too. Or no, I've been talking about like my stuff, right? What I've been uh, just, like I was talking about last week, right? Like my PTSD, I think, or OCD. Or, what was I talking about? I've been talking about things lately. And this chief made that big Reddit post. And, but he was talking to get so he was saying like, um, sailors can get it from loud noises or something. Like just from like regular working sailors, like, uh, Yeoman or you know, yeoman LS's people that always are inside the ship. He's like, yo, they can get PTSD from like all the from just living on the ship. And I'm like, bet. I okay. I can see that, dude. So like he he and a lot of people were everyone was like mostly agreeing with him, dude. And I'm like, okay. Now I even I feel hard, I feel weird talking about it. And I had the most dangerous, one of the most dangerous jobs in the whole Navy. Working on the, like my job specifically, it's really not many people can relate to LSEs and to Hilo, uh, Hilo people on the aircraft carrier flight deck. All right, let me talk about that really quick. So first of all, he is, uh, like I said, it's important to watch what he's doing here, right? Because he is expressing a lot of I'm not, a th- I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, but you can see he's expressing a lot of kind of what's going on in his mind with just the way he's talking to the camera, uh, really letting people in. He's very, very, you know, extroverted dude online. He always has been like this, but you can see he's like going through a lot of stuff. He's being very, very open about very personal stuff. Now, he talks about, uh, he talks about LSEs, right? That's what that stands for is Landing Signalman Enlisted. What, what LSEs do, I'm, I, I don't think he expands on it too much here, but basically what an LSE does is there's somebody who is responsible for helping helicopters take off and land on a ship. They look around the flight deck and they say, go to the right, go to the left, land, take off. 
uh, move backwards, move forwards, um, and they salute the you know aircraft as it flies away. They work extremely hard, extremely long hours. Every helo has to have an LSE when it uh, is taking off and landing. And on an aircraft carrier, helo ops are the most busy ops that go on during the flight schedule because helos take off first before any planes do, and they land last after the last after the last uh, uh, you know what if it's not a helo like any fixed wing plane that lands. They do this because helos are the primary response for any type of crash or ejection. So like if a pilot crashes or ejects or somebody goes overboard from the flight deck because they get blown over by jet wash or something like that, helos respond and do conduct the rescue. So they don't want there to be any delay in the rescue because like we talked about on yesterday's episode, and again, if you miss any of these episodes, they're on the, on the podcast, uh, somebody can disappear quickly into the water. So LSEs work extremely hard all day long, nonstop. Uh, if there's a helo in the air, taking off landing, getting fuel, whatever it is, LSEs are working. And that's what he's saying he did. And it's a very dangerous job because you're standing there on the flight deck, in the rotor wash. A lot of things can happen. I'll tell you a couple of things that I've seen happen. And it is, it's, it's just grueling, grueling. Like we're up there as much as the ABHs and the ABEs, if not more, because of our flight schedule. We have the longest flight schedule. So we're up there more. And we're in very weird, sketchy situations. And even I feel like we're talking about it. Even though, like, dude, you know the arresting gear wire? The arresting gear wire that, like, if it snaps, it kills, like, chops you in half and, like, kills you? Arresting gear wire snaps. Look up. That's super rare. I will say, um, of all of the injuries you can get on the flight deck, the arresting gear wire snapping and killing you is, like, the, the most rare that probably happens. But when you're standing there next to it, like literally a couple feet away and jets are landing and you know that that's possible, you're thinking about it. You're like, every time that jet lands at hundred miles an hour and pulls that arresting gear, you're like, damn, if that thing does snap, if I do happen to be here when that thing snaps, it's just going to come back and rip all of us in half. So very real, kind of rare. Arresting gear wire snaps. And uh, basically for helo people, we're, we're on our combat deployment in the Middle East, and we have to get our birds ready. So we're, we're working right underneath our helicopters and on the telecom in the helo hold, about 10 feet from where the jets are landing. So, you know, I'm just laying on the ground. Helos are kind of tucked away in the corner right behind where the jets are landing, uh, behind the island there, and they're doing their takeoffs and landings over there. The flight deck, if you have ever had a chance, if you've ever been on the flight de deck of an aircraft carrier, it is so dangerous. It is like legitimately scary stuff. Uh, last night I talked about how dark it gets, but it also gets like there are jets taking off and landing, helicopters taking off and landing, planes being towed around by tow trucks, the tractors that kind of pull them into place. There are people doing work. There's heavy winds, heavy ship listing back and forth, and you've got jet blast and all these moving parts. The elevators are going up and down. The jet blast deflectors, the JBDs are going up and down. Uh it's chaos. They won't even let you on there until you've done a whole PQS book, a whole a whole sign-off book qualification just to walk onto the flight deck of an aircraft carrier, and you're still bound to mess that up. Dude, I'm trying to explain to you guys, like, just pretend you're laying on the ground, and about 10 feet from you, there's an F-18 trapping. There's landing. an F-18 landing 10 feet from you with the wires as you're laying on the ground working on your helicopter. And just, and as you, 
That's a good point too. What he's saying is there are these planes taking off and landing and you're doing work. You're doing maintenance and you're signing off on maintenance that you're saying has been done well enough that you're willing to bet your life on it. You're willing to bet the lives of the pilot and air crew and passengers of that helicopter that you've done your job. And there are jets and helicopters taking off and landing all around you. I've done maintenance on a helicopter that's still on with the rotor blade still spinning. I went in there and fixed a wire. I went in there and fixed the wire on a helicopter still spinning, put it all back together, plugged the box back in, turned it back on, made it work, and then got it signed off by an inspector. And then that plane flew again. That is stressful. Like you, you had better do your job right or else those people are going to die. And you're, you know, 19 years old, 20 years old, and they're putting their life in your hands to do that. Stressful stuff. You're learning to learn. Uh, you're on the flight deck, dude. And you always see these videos of the wire snaps, wire snaps. So that's just like, that's daily. That's every day. That's, you just get used to it, dude. That's just every day. You're in the helo hold. You're like 10, 15 feet from where all the jets are landing 24-7. Boom, 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 boom. And you're just right there and you get used to it, bro. You're like, all right, if this wire snaps, I'm probably going to die or like get chopped up or I'm going to lose my legs or something, dude. Lit. Pretty rare. And like, I always had plans. I'm like, if I hear like a crazy noise, I'm like, if I hear a crazy noise or if I see the wire about to snap, I don't know. I was like, I'm going to jump up on the tail cone of the, of the helicopter. I'm going to like block it. <laughs> you know, I had like exit <laughs> strategies, you know, to avoid that shit. But like, uh, the only people that understand that would be the ABEs. The gear dogs, because like I was right next to the gear dogs where the one, two, three, four wires are. That's where the helo hold is. Or the ABHs by the angle or the six pack. There's like very few people in the world that can like relate to that stuff on the flight deck, dude. And like even I feel bad, weird talking about it. And it's known as one of the most dangerous jobs in the world and in the Navy. Let me tell you a quick story about the something that happened on the flight deck once. When I was on my second deployment, uh, and a lot of stuff always happens on the flight deck. When I was on my second deployment, my direct supervisor, he was also an AT. He was the same job as me. He was the second class and I was the third class. He was my you know, teacher. I'm on my first helicopter deployment. My first deployment was a ship's company. This is my first helicopter debt deployment. We're out there. We're on the flight deck, and the helo is landing. And there's this giant crate, this giant wooden box weighs a thousand pounds and it wasn't strapped down to the deck. So the helo flies over. It's got all this rotor wash, this extremely powerful wind that it's blowing underneath. If you've been ever around a helo, you feel that rotor wash to the wind being forced down by the helo. It's the, that is the same wind that's lifting the helicopter up, right? You're feeling the force of the helicopter lifting up. It's being pushed down on you. So this giant box, you know, eight feet tall, 10 feet wide, a thousand pounds gets blown over by the helo and it falls over onto right where we are. And my direct supervisor, it falls on his leg and breaks his leg and he's trapped underneath it. Had to get it lifted off of him, pull him out off the flight deck inside where we figured out his leg was broken and he goes flying off the ship and I become the lead AT. 
and I had no idea what I was doing. I just had to figure it out. Uh, so that's just one, one example of an injury on the flight deck. That was, that was unexpected. That was like our first month on deployment. And then somebody else had to fly out to replace him because we needed our full 12 man debt. So somebody went out to replace him, but for a while I was the only AT out there. And, uh, and that was my first, uh, helo injury that I saw on that, uh, on that deployment. So let's get back into the video. Besides Naval Special Warfare, dude, or FMF Corman. There's like literally two jobs, FMF Corman and then Navy SEALs. And then, boom, Navy flight deck. And then especially for me, being an LSE, and then Hilo, we're like, right, if anything goes wrong, if anything, if the jets land wrong, a wire snaps, there's been rounds that were shot, we misfired, you know, 50 cal rounds. Um, one, of, one of our freaking air crewmen misfired the, our 50 cal, the freak, and it shot. Right through the helicopter, dude. And if you, if you, it could have shot right at any of us. But luckily, it was pointing this way, and went, I think, up and out instead of like that way. But you know how many times the 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 guns are pointed at us and shit. Like I'm standing in front of Hellfire missiles as the landing signalman. You know, I'm recovering the helicopters. And it's so what he's saying is the LSE, he's standing right there in front of the helicopter as it's taking off and landing, and it'll also do this a yaw turn. It'll turn in place, and as it does, he's going to be getting flagged by the Hellfires, which could misfire, the 50 cal or the 240s under pintle mounts out there that could misfire, as well as, and a lot of people don't think about this, as well as like the FLIR system, which has these very powerful lasers that you don't want to be getting hit with, uh, and if they if they laze you, then that could hurt you too, especially like in and around your face area. Oh, you don't want that. So just something to think about. There's all these, these dangers that you don't really think about until you're in that situation yourself. Like if you could be sitting there looking at an LSE do his job and go, oh yeah, you know, no big deal. But then you put yourself in that position. You all of a sudden start to see the hazards for yourself because you realize that those things are pointed at you. LSE, no joke, not an easy job. If you're in Navy LSE, good for you. Shout out to the LSEs. That is, that is hardcore. That's a tough duty, especially for usually a junior sailor taking on all this extra, extra responsibility in addition to their job. It's like, dude, even I feel weird talking about how, like, dude, it's like extreme hypervigilance, what it does to you. It's like now it's like everything is just extreme hypervigilance for everything. It's like it takes a while to unpack that, dude, because you live that. For years and years and years and years and years, that's just like your normal life up there on the flight deck. You know, I did that for a couple of years, dude. And I did that in the Middle East, in the Persian Gulf for like the last combat deployment. And I feel like even weird talking about my issues. So I can't imagine people that have, you know, legit anxiety and PTSD and shit just from like normal Navy jobs are stressful, dude. And like, how can even they feel comfortable talking about it? If even I feel weird talking about my shit, dude. A lot. PTSD is a spectrum, right? So we got to, we got to res respect what, what you're saying when you say PTSD, you could have PTSD from, you don't have to be in the military to have PTSD. You don't have to be in combat to have PTSD. People get PTSD from car accidents, from nearly drowning, from from fire, like any, any traumatic event can give you PTSD. We, because of the post 9-11 generation of the military, we associate PTSD with combat. And yes, that's a very common 
reaction to have after having been in combat. That hypervigilance, that hyper-anxiety, those flare-ups out of nowhere, you just feel like you're back in that situation, your heart's racing, like reality starts to distort. That extreme kind of PTSD from combat is very real, very common, okay? All this other type of PTSD, any sort of traumatic event. Like I remember being a stretcher bearer when I was an airman on the aircraft carrier for an MM1 who was uh, badly injured on our ship and he ended up dying and doing stretcher bearer to get him up to, uh, which I, you know, I barely ended up seeing him, barely ended up dealing with him, but being stretcher bearer for taking him out there, that was sad when I'm 19 years old, uh, carrying somebody who's badly injured and going to die. Um, all these kind of small traumatic events can start to wear on a person. They can, they can be cumulative. Uh, so I, I do want to be clear that PTSD is a spectrum. It can be caused by any type, any type of event does not have to be military. We do associate it with combat very commonly because that's the post 9-11 generation thinking that we have. Uh, and it's a very real thing, but it doesn't mean it's exclusively related to combat. So if he's been, if somebody has been in the military and they served in, in any regard, they could have experienced a traumatic event directly associated with their military service that is giving them symptoms of PTSD, uh, flashbacks, panic attacks, anxiety, heart racing, guilt, extreme guilt, guilt, uh, feeling of impending doom, stuff like that. I have a lot of that, those feelings too. I, I suffer with that as well. Um, sometimes it's just a matter of feeling like I'm all of a sudden going to like get in trouble for things that I've done. Like, you know, you, we were out there killing people and now sometimes I just have an all of a sudden like attack of like, Oh my God, I can't believe that we did that. Like, was that bad or something? Like, am I in trouble? It's just out of nowhere, like out of the blue. And, uh, and, and I, and I totally, if you do experience these types of symptoms, we might joke and be like, whatever, dude, you're on the aircraft carrier, get over it. Where were you? Uh, a yeoman or like it's, we can make jokes, but I want to be clear right now, my position, if somebody says that they're experiencing PTSD symptoms from the military service, regardless of what they did in the military, I respect that and believe that until I have reason otherwise to, I'm always going to assume that that's true, that that's real and see what we can do to help that person. Because I, 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 I just think it's, it's, I've been there in a, a, a very, very vast difference of circumstances from Iraq, Afghanistan to at sea. I have been easily as scared at sea as I've ever been in Iraq or Afghanistan. I'll tell you that. Um, so with that being said, uh, I just wanted to let you guys know, I, I totally acknowledge the reality of this as somebody who's been in both situations. So if you have any doubt or question as to the legitimacy of this, then, uh, let me put that to bed. It's definitely a real thing. Um, speaker says, do Marine aircraft operate on Nimitz class carriers? Uh, generally, no, they don't. Uh, they'd be on like amphib, uh, amphib carriers or, uh, LHAs. Um, so a as a, as a common thing, they do not, uh, could they, it's possible, um, that they could one that might, uh, frequent aircraft carriers would be uh, Marine one, the president's helicopter flies to aircraft carriers all the time. Uh, well, you know, all the time, like that's how we would get onto an aircraft carrier. So, uh, that would be a common way, uh, way for them to travel onto an aircraft carrier. So it's definitely possible. Uh, is it, is it normal? It, it's not normal. So I hope that answers your question. Oh, hold up. Got it muted. My bad, my bad, my bad. Even they feel comfortable talking about it. If even I feel weird talking about my shit, dude. And you know where I slept? It's like, dude, I literally slept right below the three wire. 
So like when I'm trying to go to sleep at night, I slept right below the flight deck where the jets trap. So it's like a bus, dude, hitting a brick wall. As you're like sleeping, you're trying to go to sleep. And then you're working all day and you're up there on the flight deck working. And like I said, I'm 10 feet, I'm five, 10 feet from where the jets are trapping. Laying on the ground, dude, or standing by the tail cone, right by the foul, uh, where the- Really quick, where he's talking about, and I just wanna like, just, you know, add as much pertinent information to this as possible. We're talking about where he works, if you take one step backwards in the wrong spot, like just think about, just try to pay attention for the rest of the day, right? Wherever you are in the world, the rest of the day, if it's the nighttime where you are, tomorrow. How many times do you just take a step backwards without thinking about it? Have you ever been in a Walmart or a grocery store and you've taken a step backwards into somebody and you're like, oh, sorry, I didn't you know, think about that. You take a step backwards on an aircraft carrier, you're likely to get killed. Like there's a, there's a, a thousand spots on an aircraft carrier flight deck where you take that one step backwards, you're gonna get hurt or killed. Uh, that's the, that's the realistic dangers of being up there. You got to really be paying attention to what you're doing. Outline is about to run out and recover the, the helo. There's like many, there's little, very few people in the world though that can identify or that understand that dude, very small. So like it's, it's sketchy. It sucks, dude. For like people in the Navy and like, uh, aircraft, like flight deck, aircraft carrier shit. Cause like, uh, nobody can relate. Not many people can relate. And like I said, if you have really quick, another big thing about PTSD is in military experience and getting out of the military. Somebody last night on the show asked, is it hard to transition out of the military? What he's saying here about very few people can relate. Not only is it possible that on an aircraft carrier, the people below decks can't even relate with the people on the flight deck. Like people on the ship look at the people from the flight deck and they're like, oh, they're so gross. Look at them. They're filthy. Don't let them into the galley. Don't let them down here to eat. They need to go clean up first. Like, are you like, what, what an, oh man, I wanted to punch every person who said we were too dirty to come down and eat after working on the flight deck. Ooh. And then you get these bag lunches, you get bag lunches up on the flight deck and it's not even the food they're serving at the galley. It's like the cooks go out of their way to put in worse food for a back lunch, you get a juice carton, which I've never even seen on the ship. I have never even seen these juice cartons on a ship except for in a bag lunch and a virtually inedible piece of fruit and then a bologna sandwich, which is two pieces of white bread with a piece of bologna. If you're lucky, there's a piece of cheese and that's it. And then that's your lunch uh, and four ounces of juice. And it's like, just put the food that you already made into like a container for me or even in a cup and give me a spoon. Like it's, anyway, that's a little bit of a tangent, but Regal says, would you say there is a highway to the danger zone? Uh, the flight deck aircraft carrier is literally the highway to the danger zone. Um, and then you would fly into the danger zone from there and then you would land back in the danger zone. Yes, that's all true. Uh, thank you for that comment. That is amazing. Issues people like are stressed out from like just normal jobs. And how can they talk about it, dude? They probably feel like, dang, I really can't talk about it because, like, dude, I don't know. It's like a masculinity. It's like a masculinity thing. It's weird. I don't know. Let me know what you guys think, though, bro. Like I said, um, I saw the Reddit post. I saw the Reddit post from that chief 
talk about PTSD and stuff from sailors, loud noises, just living on the ship. And I'm like, dude, bet. Let me try to explain to these people, like, how maybe we can, you know, flight deck, the flight deck workers, especially what I did on the flight deck, it's like extreme hypervigilance PTSD, bro. It's just like, it's like, uh, I wish it wasn't like a competition, bro. Like my, my PTSD is better than yours. It's like, it's like a weird, I don't know. It's just weird, bro. It's weird. I wish it wasn't like that, but it is, I don't know if it will, hopefully it changes, dude. One, I don't know if it'll, it'll probably never change. Actually, it's just how it is. It's not a competition though. I wish people knew it wasn't a competition. It's just different. This is different, dude. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I would not wish it on anybody. All right. Later. It's true. Yo, yo. It's true. Uh, it does seem like there is a, uh, a, a, if somebody says they have PTSD from being on a ship, then somebody who was in Iraq or Afghanistan goes, you don't have real PTSD. I have real PTSD. You know, I got shot at. You know, I was in, an, I, my Vic got hit by an ID. The driver got killed, you know. It's not that, and I'm, I'm not saying that, uh, that I don't agree that there's, you know, worse moments and, and better moments, but every person is different. Some people experience trauma differently. You know, some people might be way more affected psychologically by something than somebody else. Uh, some people might go through years of combat and never, you know, experience symptoms of PTSD. Just, they love that shit. Uh, and some people might be in combat once and just go, Oh man, that really jacked me up. That was like not what I thought it was going to be. Um, it's and it's and it's all real. It's not. I wouldn't discredit anybody unless they give me reason to. There's definitely people out there trying to capitalize on that stuff, and I think that that's an asshole move. Uh, so if you're out there doing that, then you know what's your problem? What's your problem? So that's JT Suits. Uh, I just really respect what he's doing right now. The way he's opened up the dialogue about that stuff. Um, it's important and it's therapeutic. And I I have described. Hosting this show is therapy uh, many times. It's really, it really is. It gives me a lot. I get a lot out of this. I hope that the listeners, you know, you guys are getting a lot out of this too. I hope I gave you something to think about with that. Let me catch up on some comments here real quick. A few days ago, I met someone who said they were a Marine. They told me that they were, this is from Spica, that they were a Marine Corps intelligence. I asked him if he was, what MOS he was, uh, whatever the MOS was. He says he thinks, he says he thinks that it was, I then asked him how, because they instilled that into you at MOS school. He tells me he never went to MOS school. I asked him how did he get into his position if he never went to the school. Turns out he was medically discharged out of boot camp and was saying that he was Marine Intelligence. Uh, that's just called stolen valor, bro. That's that's just straight up stolen valor. Um, he's not even a Marine, right? If you get, correct me if I'm wrong, which I don't think I am, uh, you're not a Marine if you didn't graduate boot camp. You didn't earn the title of Marine. You didn't fight the dragon on the bridge, dude. You didn't. I've seen the commercial. I know how Marine Corps boot camp ends. It's with a dragon on a bridge. That dragon's fire breathing. You have a sword and some uh, gross clothes. And if you have what it takes to fell the dragon, you get the nice clothes. Um, Mr. High says, hey, I saw you from AO Nixo. Were you a Marine? And if so, what was your MOS? Uh, Mr. High, I'll answer that question. Uh, I was in the Navy. I am no longer active duty. I'm a Navy veteran. Um, while I was in the Navy, I was on ships. I did an aircraft carrier deployment. I did a deployment on a USNS ship, which maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll do an episode on what USNS ships are. And then uh, I went to uh, Afghanistan, did a deployment there, 
went to special programs and I did another Afghanistan deployment and then Iraq deployment. I've got tons of videos talking about that stuff. Check out the channel. Um, I appreciate you stopping by and see what you think about the content. Um, after boot camp, he was medically discharged out of boot camp. Oh, so he did graduate boot camp. Okay. Speaker, if he graduated boot camp, I guess he earned the title of Marine. But then if he got medically discharged um, and uh, and never went to MOS school, then I would hesitate to call him Marine intelligence, military intelligence. Uh, that is definitely a job. That's a real job. But um, if he never went to the school, then uh, then I, I don't know if you can give him that title. And and I definitely would hesitate to to take things that he says he knows about military intelligence to heart because if he never went to the school and if he never was in the fleet, he would not know a lot about military intelligence. Uh, he probably never even got a high-level security clearance, I, I would bet. So, um, look, guys, people are going to try to BS you out there. People are going to try to BS you about their military service. It happens all the time. It One of the best feelings in the world is catching it in the act. I swear, I swear. A couple times in my life, I've been out there with uh, people who claim to be SEALs or they're teaching SEALs or something like that. Uh, and the best feeling in the world is uh, catching them in the moment. It's just a sweet, sweet thing. So look out for that. People are going to try to get one over on you. They're going to try to amplify what they did in the military to get some credit from you. Uh, and if people start asking you for something, kind of like I do when I hit up you up on Patreon, <laughs> I just realized, uh, always take that with a grain of salt. You know, it should be pretty obvious. Um, if somebody's telling the truth about what they did or not. Now, if, uh, if somebody, here's the, here's the thing, here's the number one way, here's the number one way to tell if somebody's telling the truth or not. If somebody starts to tell you that what they did in the military was too secret to talk about, they are lying. Okay. There is like literally no job in the military that is too secret to talk about. There are details of jobs that are classified, um, that you sign NDAs about, but there is literally no job in the military that is too secret to talk about. There are almost no missions that are too classified to say that they went on. Um, so with that being said, always be vigilant about people trying to, uh, get one over on Utah, especially if you're like thinking about joining the military or, uh, are just a fan of the military and you're watching this program and people tell you about their, their service or whatever, and you don't know them that well, or you, you aren't there with them or don't know anybody who can vouch for them. Always just go, Hey, uh, you know, maybe do you have any pictures of you doing that stuff? Like pictures of you in uniform or something like that. If you, if you, uh, feel like they might be lying and if somebody starts to go classified, that's classified, then that's the number one way to tell, uh, if they're, if they're lying to you, if you guys want to watch a masterclass on how to catch somebody in the act of stolen valor, go check out Don Shipley. Don Shipley's a retired Navy SEAL who goes out and finds SEAL imposters and calls them out. If you haven't watched his content, it is pure gold. Maybe I'll do a reacting to Don Shipley videos. That's something you guys would like to see. Let me know in the comments. All right, we've been going for a little over an hour today. I, that's about all I want to get through today. Uh, uh, Regal, uh, Regal and Jones are, are arguing about uh, uh, calling, calling Jones out for his service. <laughs> classic. Um, Mr. High says, thanks for your service and keep up the good content. Thank you. I will. We're live here uh, Sunday through Thursday, 1800 Pacific time. Uh, the community's growing. We had a good stream today. That AO Nixo episode was uh, really good. Speaker says, 
yet, LOL, same guy was going into chats, an older guy saying he was the lieutenant colonel of CAG. Speaker, do you know what CAG is? First of all, do you know what CAG is? To a bunch of kids, he was called out almost immediately by me and my buddies. Pretty easy story to see. Yeah, it sounds like he's full of it. No, nobody who was uh, a lieutenant colonel uh, in, in, in CAG, and I'm curious, Speaker, do you know what CAG is? What do you know about CAG? Uh, do you know what it stands for? Do you know what CAG stands for? I'm pretty sure uh, that this that that would never happen. I bet, you know, assuming that this guy says he was an older guy, probably some younger guy or older guy who had this like military obsession of like what he would have done if he had the guts to join the military or didn't have flat feet or whatever, and uh, and never got to do it, and now he lives vicariously on the internet saying that he was uh, some kind of world class badass that he might not have been. Um, so. Yeah, CAG is a, uh, maybe I'll do an episode on, on CAG. I don't know. I don't know if that's really, I try not to get into that stuff. Uh, that's where I start to feel like I'm leveraging my my career in the Navy for for views, and I don't like to do that. Um, the the opportunities, to, the communities that I got to be a part of, uh, just to get likes on the internet. I hesitate to do that. I love the show the way that it is now. I think we're doing good stuff. Um, hey, all right, so I'm going to wrap it up. Hey, I had a really great time with you guys today. Uh, thanks for tuning in. This stream, that stream last night with AO Nixo has me excited about the future. I'm excited about the future. Um, if you didn't get a chance to watch that, it's on YouTube, the whole episode, as well as on podcast. As always, this episode um, will be on the podcast later and will be live on YouTube ongoing. Uh, if you guys like this content, you want to support the channel, scuttlebuttshow.com where you can get merch and Patreon where you can become a Patreon. Now, with that note on Patreon, if you become an elite Patreon subscriber, you get a free t-shirt. It makes sense, pays for itself in two months. Uh, just consider going and checking that out. I would really appreciate it. Until next time, which is tomorrow, by the way, I look forward to talking to you guys really soon, and I am out for now.